0: Well, we are right in the middle of an experience that we call 40 Days of Love, and I hope you're enjoying it. This is your first week. You've come at a great time because you will really appreciate the, the messages and the different things that are happening here um, as part of the 40 Days of Love. It's all about relationships, how we can be more connected to God and more connected to one another. And I've been hearing some really great feedback about it, really practical ways that people are applying these messages and, and what they're reading in the book and what they're learning in the small group. Times that people are making a phone call that needed to be made or maybe taking a phone call instead of watching American Idol, which is what happened at my house this week. But ways that we value relationship over other things because that's what it's all about. And right now as a church family, we have someone, um, a family in our in our church family that is really suffering and specifically Dennis Newman. Many of you may have heard this already, but Dennis Newman, who's a member of our church, um, had a brain aneurysm um, on Uh, Tuesday evening, late Tuesday night, and he is now in a coma at Bethesda North. He has two children, Ashley and Alyssa, Um, and so they weren't even going to do surgery originally, and they ended up doing it. They saw just a, a, a little bit of response when he came into the hospital, so they went ahead and did surgery. He survived the surgery, which the doctors weren't really hopeful for necessarily, and now, for over the last few days, he's in a coma. And the good news, the only report I got yesterday, and there might be something new since then, was that the doctors came in and, and they um, tickled his foot and his toes wiggled. That was a good, a good thing to see. I have no idea. I think the doctors aren't giving a whole lot of hope. The aneurysm is in a very bad place um, on his brain. And so this is not a good situation for them. But we do have a good God. And what I wanted to do was, as a church family, if you could just stand up right now, and you could grab the hands with the people next to you, even cross the aisles, come together as a church family. We just want to pray for them. It's Dennis Newman is the one in the hospital, his wife Beth and their two children, um, Ashley and Alyssa. This is a family really hurting and suffering and needs our prayers right now. So if we could go together in prayer for this family, um, let's do that. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you love us, that you made this way for us to come together and to bring this family that we love and that has so great need right now for you lord and and we all do but right now this is critical for them and we pray as a church family as their family lord we we want to lift dennis and beth and and their children to you lord and ask that you would do a miracle lord we know we've seen miracles happen here in our own church in similar ways where the odds were stacked against somebody and they recover and And we've seen you heal, and we honor you, and we praise you for that. We also know that the truth of your word is that when we gather in your name, that you are here with us, and that when we agree together in your name, that you hear us and answer us. And that's what we want to do. We want to agree together in the name of Jesus, as a church family, that you would heal Dennis completely, that you would... Just defy the odds that you would work a miracle, that we would give you praise and glory now for what you're going to do, and that we would just celebrate a complete healing. Nevertheless, Lord, not our will, but yours be done. Lord, we pray for Beth, his wife, and we ask that you would give her supernatural strength, peace, love, grace, all the things that she needs to walk through this difficult time, and for their girls, for Ashley and Alyssa, the same for them, that you would equip them with such nearness of your presence and such strength in their lives and peace that passes understanding that they would, would feel it and know it and see it and tangibly experience you carrying them through this difficult time. Lord God, if there's anyone in this room that can be used in any way, we just ask that you would make that clear to us, that you'd give us the, the courage to value and, and, and apply what we're learning and to take relationships seriously and maybe to sacrifice something that we could do in order to help make this easier and better for this family. Ultimately, Lord, we, we trust you. We, we trust you and we know that you have this family in your hands and you have a, a will um, that you will see carried out. And so we trust in you completely for who you are and, and for this privilege that we have, Lord, to, to pray and come to you in difficult times like this. Thank you for providing that. Lord, we give you this situation and put it in your hands, lay it at your feet, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Like I said, this is 40 Days of Love, a time when we're focusing on relationships and and what better time. It's always the right time to pray and to care for people, but what better time than this than to put this relationship first and to pray for them. We will keep you updated as we can about the the situation too, so um, be looking for that as well. All right, well, this morning we're going to continue in the 40 Days of Love And we're going to look at the all important topic of how we can love with our words. And I have to get my notes in order here, and we'll be good to go. We're going to talk about how we can love with our words, the all important topic of communication. You know, it's kind of funny, I don't know if you have this experience in life sometimes where life comes full circle for you, but that's what's happened with me today with this message and this week as I prepared it. I grew up in the church. I was pa- practically born in a church pew, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that heritage and, and for the faith um, that my parents gave me and my church family growing up gave me. And so my dad was actually a junior high youth sponsor when I was in junior high which is sometimes good and then sometimes a little awkward, you know, to have your dad be giving the messages and being a sponsor. But mostly it was good. And there were times, though, that he would like to give a certain message called Taming the Tongue. Taming the tongue, straight out of the book of James. And really, my friends and I would be like, here we go again, taming the tongue. You know, just kind of roll our eyes at it. So it's kind of ironic and funny that today I could bring you this message about our words and could easily call it taming the tongue because we're coming straight out of the same passage. So life has really come full circle for me. And I need to make a confession, and I think it's a confession that all of you probably could join me in. I still make mistakes with my words. I made them then. That's probably why my dad... You know, was sure to keep repeating that message, hoping I might get it. Because if I got in trouble at all, it was with my mouth, with my words. I didn't do a lot of bad things. I was pretty sheltered and, and you know, kind of in my little Christian bubble. But if I got in trouble, it was when my mouth got me in trouble, when I was disrespectful or, or, you know, whatever it might be. My voice carried. That's what my dad always told me, too. My voice carried. So in classroom settings, I was always the one getting called out for talking. But I still make mistakes. I still say the wrong things sometimes. I still say stupid things. No amening in this crowd, please. I still, I still make mistakes sometimes, and I'm sure you do too. You know, this is not an original confession. This is one you can find right in James in the New Testament. James 3, 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So why don't we all confess it? You know, Why don't we all just admit this is an area that we can be weak. We all make mistakes with our words sometimes. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world to say the wrong thing. It's the easiest thing in the world to say the wrong thing. Take a look at this example. Get out here. Hey, Bar. What are you doing in there? Oh, I've been busy. I've just been working on the five-year projections and the feasibility of franchise projections. Almost, but you said projections twice. Now, come help me. I had to start a waiting list. We can't take on any more new members. Well, maybe you can't, Barb, but I have no problem. Yeah, I am just totally cool. <laughs> hmm, oh, no good. I'm glad you're totally cool. Now, come help me get these women measured and weighed in. <clears throat> Annette, Gloria, this is Christine. She's my partner in the gym. She's the white one. Oh, Barb, <laughs> you t- No, she doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean what? Oh, any of it. You know, I... Neither do I. Uh, Christine actually started this business, so if you have any questions about anything, like franchise projections, she's the one to ask. Yes, well, thank you for that, Barbara. Appreciate your confidence in me. But, as the good man says, we are all equals. Barb and I. And us. What's going on with your face? Equality. Hope. Now, if you will just excuse me, I will pop back into my office. What? back, not black. <laughs> so, if you'll excuse me, I will be white black. Uh, white black. White uh, oh, uh, white Like I said, it's the easiest thing in the world to say the wrong thing, isn't it? I mean, maybe you weren't quite that dramatic, but how many times have, you know, you stuck your own foot in your mouth? I mean, that happens to me quite a bit. In fact, I have a really terrible habit of taking on the communication style of whoever I'm talking with. So I don't know if you've had this happen to, to you before, but maybe you're driving down the road and you've got your cell phone and you're talking and the other person on the other line, for whatever reason, they need to whisper because they've got people all around them and you're completely by yourself in your car. You could talk as loud as you want, but you start whispering with them, and, and, you know, you're responding to them and whispering, and then you start thinking, why am I whispering? I mean, there's no one here. I just take on that communication style. Maybe you've done that. The best example I can have where I did this and really made a mess out of things was when I was working for family Christian stores, and I was a manager for them, and there was a, a foreign couple who came in who spoke only very broken English, And so they wanted to order something and we didn't have it. So I got the catalog and we're looking through the catalog and we're narrowing in on what it is that they want to order. And we finally find it and I point to it and they say, yes, that's what they want to order. And I say, I check for you. I check for you. I responded in broken English to them. I just, I don't know why. I have to take on, you know, whatever style it is. What was funny is my brother actually heard, overheard the conversation. I didn't know that. He was working for me at the time and was in the back room and he heard me say it. And I I go back there and I'm trying to give him some instructions, you know, being really professional and and telling him exactly what to do. And he is just like busting up laughing and cracking up. I was like, what in the world is wrong? You know, kind of getting indignant with him. Like, why are you laughing when I'm trying to give you instruction? And he said, John, I check for you? You know, like, (laughs) really? So one of those times, like I said, the wrong thing came right out. You know, the problem with our words is that once they're spoken, they're out there, and you can't get them back. You can't get them back. That's why we want to take this topic really seriously this morning and get really practical with it and and talk about ways that we can improve in our communication, ways that we can actually um, love people with our words and do a better job of that. It's really going to be practical for us, I hope, this morning. In fact, you have an outline in the back of your family news bulletin that you can follow along and take notes with um, because that's the nature of this message this morning is to be really practical in nature in that way. And my prayer is that every one of us, all of us seated, seated here today, would walk out of here with at least one thing that we can really work on, one thing that we can work on in our, in our communication and how we use words in our relationships. First, though, I want to take a look at James and what else he had to say about the power of our words. In James chapter 3, the writer gives us three descriptive visuals or pictures that help demonstrate the power of our words. First, he says that our words direct where we go. Our mouth directs where we go. My mouth, my words direct where I go. In verse 4, he says, and this is just like the the, rudder of a ship. He says, or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So you all know this. A, A ship has a small rudder, relatively small rudder, and it directs and helps steer that ship where it's going to go. Even great ocean liners have rudders like this. And our words are kind of the same way. They can take us places in our conversation. They can take us places in our relationships. They kind of set the the course and the direction. I mean, I don't know, again, if you, like me, probably many of you, where you say something and it comes out of your mouth and you think, oh, I wish I could get that back because I know where this is going to take us. I know that's not exactly what I wanted to say or that came across wrong. And so this whole relationship and conversation is going to go in this direction because I used those words. Sometimes it's the other person that uses those words and you know exactly where the direction is going to go. And so that's the power of our words, that it can direct where we go. James also tells us that our words, like a fire, can destroy what I have. My mouth and my words can destroy what we have. Words are powerful. Words can also, though, because they're powerful, be destructive in our lives. In verse 5, James says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. I mean, fire we know has a lot of great use. It it produces energy and light and warmth. And just like that, our words can be the same. They can be productive in our life. They can produce warmth and bring light to a situation. And they can be very productive, but a fire can also destroy. A fire can also burn up. And our words can do the same thing. They can burn a relationship. They can burn through a job. We've seen that in our lives Maybe you've experienced that where you burn through a a relationship or a job or, or a marriage or whatever it is, and words can be destructive. We need to be careful with them. The third image James gives us about the tongue and the power of our words is that of a mountain spring or a spring of water. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And so our mouths, our words, display who I really am. My words display who I really am. Who we really are on the inside has a way of coming out through our words. Who we really are in our heart has a way of coming out through the words that we use. You know, when you, when you find a source of water, you know if it's fresh water, if it's good for you, or if it's contaminated, or if it's salt water, that it wouldn't be good for you. But here's the problem with our mouths. Both good water and contaminated water come from the same source. I mean, haven't you seen that in your life too, where most of the time you're rolling along and the words that you're using and, and, and what you're talking about and, and building the relationships around you, it's mostly good. And then all of a sudden, something comes rolling off the tongue that's contaminated, that's not helpful, that's not good, that, that tears somebody down. And we kind of get frustrated with that. You know, we get frustrated, why did I say that? Why, you know, when I'm rolling along so good, did that, that contaminated source come out, that, that part, you know, that I'm not proud of come out? Let's look at what Jesus has to say about our communication to get some hope and some answers to that frustration that we all have. He tells us in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the heart the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart is going to spill out through your words. That's what we were talking about. And you can try as best as possible to hide things in your heart and to keep your things in your heart all bottled up. And there's some duplicity happening there in your heart, and you try to hide that. But eventually it's going to find its way out through your words. There's also what Jesus says in the Bible, your souls aren't harmed by what you eat, but by what you think and say. And so our heart is also affected by what we think and what we say, and there's this kind of reciprocal thing going on where our heart, whatever's going on in our heart has a way of making its way out through our words, and whatever we think and say has a way of affecting our heart. And so we get caught kind of in that. you can think about this when maybe you get angry about something, and that's the feeling you have in your heart. And what words do you use when you get angry? you start to use angry words, and does that help you feel better? Does that help you get rid of that anger in your heart? Not usually, it usually makes it worse. It, it fuels that in you. And so you get kind of caught up in this trap, you know, where your words and your heart are kind of affecting you in in different ways. So what can we do? We understand that's the problem. What can we do? What we want to do this morning is take a look at some really practical ways that we can partner with God in changing our hearts and our words. And let me share some encouragement with you. God wants to help us in this area because we know we're spending 40 days on this concept of love and on our relationships and we know how important and how primary relationships really are. And so of course God wants to help us with this. Of course he would want to help us in our hearts and in, with our words. In fact, he gives us his Holy Spirit Um, to help transform us. And so I want you to look at this as, as we go through some things that I'm going to share with you as an opportunity for you to partner with God to make changes that are necessary in your heart and in your words. And that should be encouraging to you that you're not alone, that this isn't hopeless, that you'll never get control over the tongue, that you'll never tame the tongue as my dad would often teach that you actually have this transforming power of Jesus Christ in you to help bring that about and that you can apply specific things and that you're not alone even because we're all in this together. That's the whole point of this series. That's why we're going through this in small groups and in other places because we're all in this together. We all have to work on this area of our life. So let's look at some of these specific things and how we can partner with God. First, we need to love people with honest words. We need to love people with honest words. In this example, we get straight from Jesus. We see in the New Testament where he interacted with all sorts of people, many different kinds of people coming from different perspectives and different backgrounds and having different needs. And he spoke into their lives with such great honesty. In fact, some really surprising honesty that he speaks to them with that you see recorded in the Gospels. And when he spoke, people listened. And his desire in speaking and saying what he said was that lives would be changed, that people would be met where they are and they would be, changed and so he's the expert and in fact that's what 40 days of love is looking at It's constantly looking at what jesus had to say and the model um, that jesus gave us and how we can learn from that he's the expert and that means and as we know from scripture that he was perfect and so what he said was perfect even though sometimes as i'm going to share with you in a moment some of the things that he said don't sound like the loving things to say for instance you might find it kind of surprising that at one point he talks to a group of people who were struggling and he calls them a bunch of hypocrites Another time, a brood of vipers. Another time, to one of his close friends, to Peter, one of his disciples, he tells them, Satan, get behind me. I mean, that's some harsh honesty. That's some tough talk from Jesus that doesn't sound you know, like the loving Jesus that sometimes we think of. Another time, to his disciples, he says, Oh, you stubborn, faithless people, how long shall I put up with you? Tough talk. Again, but he's perfect, right? He's perfect. So there has to be something about this honesty, this almost what feels to us sometimes like brutal honesty that Jesus had. How can that be perfect? How did he get away with that? What was different if he said that? If you or I try to say some of those things to people, that probably wouldn't go over, would it? But Jesus was perfect, and so we have to look at how he was able to say that. He was able to do it because he did it in a different way. He did it in a different way than what we might typically relate with or think about. He was responding out of honesty not out of irritation. He was responding out, not out of anger, but out of love. His motivation was to produce change in the people that he was speaking to. That was his motivation. And what really hit me about that, as I thought about that, is, as he really was that honest with people, and as I looked at that, you know, it is so tempting in our lives just to be nice, isn't it? To maybe hold back on some honesty, because we know if we're truly honest, we're going to get into a whole... Pandora's box of things that we have to deal with. And so it's tempting for me and probably for many of you just to be nice, maybe to brush over some things and not to be honest. Sometimes as parents, I think we can be really guilty of this. You know, parents, we really want to have a close relationship with our children and that's a good thing. And so sometimes we'll kind of judge and risk, should we be as honest as we need to be? because we want to be seen in a good light. We want to be their friend. And I just have to challenge all of us as parents. We were not called to be our children's friends. We were called to be our children's parents, to be their guide, to speak truth into their life. And we're going to talk about how to best do that by doing so lovingly. But it is our role to speak truth into their life, to move their relationship with God forward, to move their relationships with other people forward, ultimately to move our relationship with our children forward as well. But nice doesn't change anything. Nice doesn't change anything. Nice leaves us right where we are. Nice doesn't change my heart. Nice does not move the relationship forward. You don't learn anything through just being nice. And Jesus' model was to impact lives. He had to be honest with people. So how do you do that, though? How do we really do that? Let's look at the phrase in Ephesians. that talks about speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 15. That's how it works. We have to have both love and truth together, both of these things. It takes both love and love and truth it can't be one or the other it has to be both you know some people like it to be one or the other some people they're all truth they're all truth all the time they're going to give you their opinion and their thoughts on everything all the time or they don't tell the truth they like aim the truth right you know with an agenda they're truth telling but there's no love behind it there's no love sometimes the reverse is true it's all sticky sweet lovey-dovey and there's kernels of truth, but they're sometimes hard to find. And there's, you know, it's just hard. I don't know if you've ever had that before where maybe you've had a conversation with someone and you know they were trying to say something. I mean, you know they were trying to communicate something to you, but it was just hard to find. It was, it was wrapped in all these niceties and this kind of sticky, sweet love stuff. And, you know, there was something there. you are just not really sure what it was. We need to also let people hear the truth. So it takes both, both love and truth. Another great verse is Proverbs 27, 5. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know, we all love to have people around us that flatter us, that give us compliments, that make us feel good. But when it comes to your close relationships and your most intimate relationships, you want people to be honest with you, don't you? I mean, ultimately, I I hope that that's what you want. I hope that you want people to truly be honest. If I'm up here with spinach in my teeth, Alex, you better tell me. Brother, you had better tell me. I don't want to be up here with spinach in my teeth. I want someone to tell me. And we want that in our friendships mostly. Don't you you want that? I mean, when you blast somebody with your words and you don't really realize that that's how you came across, you need a friend to tell you, hey, what you just said came across this way and you may not know it. Or your perspective might just be wrong and you need someone to help you with that. You need a friend to speak truth into your life. We need those people in our lives and I hope that you value that. And I hope that I value that as well that I can be open to that truth. I thought about this reality, and I thought about our staff. And many of you may know our staff or different members of our staff, and you'll see quickly that our staff is made up of some really strong personalities. There's some really strong personality. Mark Erton has a really strong personality, don't you, Mark? No? No, the whole staff is made up of these great, strong personalities that you get to know and you love. But when you get a bunch of strong personalities in a room, you can have differences of opinion. You can have feathers getting ruffled. You can have different ideas about things. And what I love about our staff, especially right now, it's just so healthy that I feel like we can even when that happens, we sit down and because of our love for God first of all, for this church secondly and for each other, we can sit down and talk over anything. We can talk it over and we'll get to the right place where we, we need to be. And, and I love that that there's the ability to be so so honest and loving. Um, among the staff and you should be grateful for that that there's a unity among the staff that even when we might disagree sometimes we have the freedom to go and talk to each other and sit down and work it out and get to the best best place first corinthians 13 6 says love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth so there's joy actually to be found in the truth We should get excited about the truth. I know the truth is hard to hear. I don't always like it. I can be really defensive sometimes. But there's joy to be found in the truth. I mean, the Bible says, Jesus says, that the truth can even set people free. That's powerful. That is really powerful. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a powerful thing. It's something that we can get excited about. But honest words, which can be hard to communicate, truthful words, which can be hard to say and to receive, have to start with honesty first in my own life. If I'm going to approach one of you and talk to you about something that I need to, that is truthful to be presented in your life, I have to first evaluate my own life and my own heart, my motives for why I'm bringing this to you. Is this something I I need to say for your benefit, or is it something I just want to say because it's kind of on my chest and I want to get it off? Is it something that I've evaluated my own life in? Am I in this area that I need to present to you? Have I evaluated my own life first? When someone that you love, when someone that you care about sees that you've taken the time to think this through, to evaluate your own life, to judge your own motives first and why you're presenting something, then it is much easier to receive. Don't you know that? I mean, when someone has something to say to you, if you know that they love you, They have your best interest. This is for your benefit. As hard as sometimes truth can be to receive, you're much more willing to receive it from that perspective than from someone who just blasts you with the truth because they want to say what they're thinking. So we can love people with honest words. And then the second way we can love people is with careful words. We talked already about how powerful words really can be and how destructive sometimes they can be. And so we need to be careful with our words. We all know the impact of a word spoken that isn't right, a wrong word spoken and the impact that that can have. Specifically, I want to look at two ways, two areas that we can be careful with our words, anger and gossip, anger and gossip. First of all, anger. Ephesians 4:26 and 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger and communication can really become destructive. It can take a conversation and make it a, a battlefield, you know, when, when there has to be a clear winner and a clear loser and an argument starts to happen. And, and let's be real again and be honest. We all argue, okay, with those closest to us probably most of all. We argue. We get angry. We get upset. And we start having arguments. So we're all on the same, you know, playing field when it comes to that. We all argue, and when anger enters in, when, when anger creates a battlefield type of um, communication where there's a clear winner and there's a clear loser, at least that's the goal, then it can get really, really scary and can get really messy. You know, in a battlefield situation like that, in, a, in an argument like that, there's different responses that we all might have. I mean, some of us might choose to, to dig a foxhole and just to to dive in and, and bury ourselves and hope it all passes over and not respond to any of it and just kind of bury it. Other ver- others of us might store it up, create kind of a munitions dump, you know, where we store everything away and we keep real close records of what people have said to us and how they've hurt us or, or whatever, so that at some point we can rise up and just blast them, right? Others are more the ar- artillery type, where they just, they blast them every time, everywhere, any way that they can. They're always just, the anger always exceeds the situation, and that's really sad. But when we treat communication like a battleground, we need to, and when we think that somebody has to win and someone has to lose, we have to realize that everyone loses. When when communication and when arguments become a battleground like that, everyone loses except for one. Except for one, the Bible tells us that the devil loves it. The devil wins when there's that kind of divisiveness, when there's that kind of destruction happening. The devil loves that. I mean, he loves that. He loves to get a foothold in that way. And so all parties lose except the one, the, our enemy. The Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold when you when you get angry. And it specifically tells us how to do that, how to not let Satan win in those situations. It tells us very clearly, clearly, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so that's how we deal with this. That's how we deal with this. We don't you know, let the sun go down. We don't end our day on that note when we're, we're, we're angry. You might hear that at a wedding. You know, it's a good wedding toast to not let, you know, don't go to bed angry. That might be something you hear. And it, although it is good advice and it's a nice little wedding toast type of thing to say, it's more than that. It's God's word. It's God's command in our lives to not go to bed angry, to not let the sun set on our day while we are still angry. And why does he do that? Why is that a command of God? Just like other commands of God, they have our best interest at heart. They have our best interest. I mean, he does it because he knows us. He knows how we are wired. He knows the way that we respond in relationships. And he knows that if we just let that anger keep building and we go to bed with that anger, we're going to wake up and pick that anger right back up. And it may have multiplied overnight. And we may have thought about all different ways and different reasons why we should still be angry. And the problem gets much harder to solve. He knows us the way we're wired. And so we need to deal with it before the day's end. The Bible doesn't say you have to solve everything immediately. It doesn't say that all things have to be neatly put together in a nice package. It just says not to give the devil a foothold in our anger. Certainly, you may need to calm down for a minute. We're not saying barrel in to this, you know, every time right away. You might need to count to 10. You might need to walk away for a moment. You might need to take a drive. When you're angry, or maybe not a drive, a walk might be better if you're really angry. Um, so maybe take that advice—a walk, whatever it is. You may need to calm down. You may need to step away for a minute and catch a deep breath. But ultimately, you need to return to that and and work it through and get to a place of peace in that relationship before you move on to anything else. Really, before the day ends. This is a rule that me and my wife and I have lived by. Thankfully, there's not a lot of arguments, but when those things come up as they do in all of our relationships, when things come up in our relationship, we will not go to bed until there's a place of peace about it. It may not, the the problem may not fully be solved, but we're at peace. And I'm so grateful that we've kept that commitment, and I really encourage you to do that. You may be a little tired the next day, but you won't have anger in your heart, and you won't have allowed Satan to have a foothold in your your relationship. You know, the great theologian Will Rogers, um, tongue-in-cheek there, said, be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. And especially in anger, it's probably when the words come out that you really might regret. And so be careful with anger. Another area that we need to be careful in and where we need to use careful words is in the area of gossip. You know, I told you I grew up in the church. And so gossip was one thing that I think all of us could kind of identify with, especially in junior high. Especially in junior high, we could identify with, with that. You know, the, the list of bigger sins wasn't as much a problem for us because we were this church group. So, you know, we didn't have that. But we, we would talk about gossip. And then as I get older and, I'm mature and I mature and I start reading the Gospels for myself and, and the New Testament and other places in the Bible, I see that gossip is right up there with some of the big sins. I mean, gossip is listed right next to sexual immorality, next to murder. It's thrown in those types of lists because it's destructive, because it's divisive, because it's hurtful. And so you might have had that experience before where you're reading through, you know, the New Testament or wherever and, and you see this list of sins and, and you think, nope, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Ooh, gossip. Yeah, I need to. I need to apply that in my life. I need to think about that. I mean, certainly no one here ever reads the National Enquirer headlines, you know, in the grocery store, or would never read, you know, Us Weekly, or People, and looking at all those things that are going, I know none of the people here would do that. I certainly would never do that. But the church has kind of its own version of gossip sometimes. We call it prayer requests. We just call it gossip sometimes prayer requests. You know, people call and share these things, and it's not just sharing that, will you pray for so-and-so, but they Give you all the gory details about so-and-so, And the church has been guilty not d- this church, but the church overall, has been guilty of sometimes using prayer requests as a form of gossip. A great antidote I've heard before is don't share anything with someone who's not part of the problem or the solution. There's a practical tip for you. Don't share anything with someone who's not part of the problem or the solution. And maybe you've kind of got gossip down where you yourself don't initiate gossip, but sometimes those prayer requests come to you. Sometimes that gossip comes to you. And here's a couple of things you can do for that. First of all, ask the person who's bringing that gossip to you if they have gone to that person whom the gossip is about and asked if they could pray with them directly. Ask if they've talked to them directly. Another thing you can say is, You know, wow, that's a really important prayer request. Can I share your name as the one who shared that with me as I pass this along to other people? And that'll put the person in their spot and help them see where they need to be. And I started thinking about this some more. You know, in our day and age, we can take gossip to a whole new level. To a whole new level. We take it to cyberspace. We take it where you can Twitter gossip, you can text gossip, you can Facebook gossip. And it's a little more elusive, it's a little more evasive because you don't have to call someone and get kind of down and dirty about it. You can just text it. Or you don't have to see someone face to face and get in a corner and, you know, be kind of junior high about it and talk about it that way. No, you can text it, you can you can email it, you can whatever. And sometimes it's not maybe an outright mean thing or wrong thing that you say about someone. Sometimes it's the way you communicate about yourself where you try to elevate yourself in an email and maybe kind of downplay or just kind of not communicate accurately about somebody else. And so a good thing to remember in this area is what if you copied the person that you're writing about on that email? Would you change it in any way? What if the persons that you are talking about in an email, a tweet, a text, or whatever it is, what if whoever you're talking about was able to see that, was copied in on that, would you change it in any way? That's a good way to protect yourself when it comes to cyber gossip. When it comes to those ways that we can be a little sneaky about how we gossip. And the other thing, just practically, not so much uh, spiritually, but just practically, those types of things where they're in print get forwarded really easily. And so just, you know, you need to know that. Oftentimes emails can get forwarded to somebody Texts, whatever they are, can often find their way to the people you may not want it to be. So practically, I suggest that you be really careful with that and think about, what if I copied this person on it? How would it change? We need to be careful. So we need to love people with honest words. We can love people with careful words. And we need to love people with building words, words that build up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And we need to think, are my will, my words building? Are they building others up according to their needs? Or are they tearing it down? I mean, words can build a marriage. Words can build a child's self-esteem. They can build a relationship or they can tear it down. They can tear a child's self-esteem apart. They can tear a marriage apart. The verse also talks to us about unwholesome talk. And right away, we can think of some things and we kind of know what that means. Maybe perverted words or Um, cuss words, swear words, things that we consider unwholesome. It also talks about unhelpful things, things that just are not helpful, they're not necessary. The biggest thing that we need to do in this area of our lives is simply think before we speak. I know it's kind of novel to some of us who like to speak a lot, but thinking before we talk, reflecting before we react is so important. It made me think of the Twix commercials that you probably have seen over the years, where someone, you know, gets in a really bad situation and they have to answer somebody else, and and the the commercial says, you know, need a moment, and they get to stuff a Twix in. Here, take a look at one of those. Frankly, I just feel like some politicians are completely out of touch with 99% of society. Yeah, and it's like the mainstream media's fault. You said it. Finally, someone who shares my struggle. I know, right? Do you want to go to my apartment? What? What? What kind of girl do you think I am? Oh. Need a moment. I thought you were a believer. Someone who'd want to blog about our ideals, but... Oh, blogging. I love blogging. When you need a moment, chew it over with Twix. I love that commercial. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. Sometimes we need to just take a moment. Actually, on your way out today, I have Twix bars for you so, to remind you of that. So be sure you get those on the way out. Just to remember to take a moment and to think before we speak. Need a, you know, we need a moment sometimes. Here's an acrostic for you, too, to not only realize you need to think, but how you can evaluate what it is that you're saying. So here's a quick acrostic. This, I don't think, is in your notes. You can take um, notes on this if you'd like. But first of all, T, is it truthful? Before you say something, is it truthful? Is it, and be sure it's not twisted in any way, is it the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I mean, is it completely 100% truthful? Is it helpful? H, is it helpful? Or is it going to harm in some way? The I is for is it inspirational? Is it going to build up or tear down? Is it going to move people forward? Is it going to give them hope and encouragement? Or is it going to tear down? The N is for is it necessary? is it necessary? That helps those of us who talk too much, who have too many words sometimes and just like to talk to be heard. I mean, is what we're saying even necessary? Is it kind? And we've been talking a lot about that in in the life groups, in the 40 Days of Love life groups, but is it kind? So is it truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Or is it kind? Several years ago, Pastor Jeff talked about this similar topic, About loving with our words and he gave us three e's this might be something else you can kind of hold on to is what you're saying edifying is it equipping or is it encouraging if it's not edifying equipping or encouraging then you don't need to say it if it's not edifying equipping and encouraging and you can see how that lasted i didn't have to look that up i mean he spoke that several years ago and i still use that and think about that is it edifying equipping or encouraging Both of those things, the acrostic or the three E's, the alliterations and the acrostics can be really helpful to you. What's not necessarily the point is that you remember exactly what those words were or exactly the acrostic just word for word, but that you apply the principle, which is to stop and think. Reflect before you react. There's great power in that. Three seconds can make the world of difference in your life and in your communication and in in your relationships. And so I'm hoping that all of this is very practical truth for us, that this is all stuff that we can really apply. But I want to take it one step further and kind of hone in on one specific area that you might be able to apply, that each of us might walk out of here with one thing that we're going to concentrate on, because all of this is good, and we could easily get overwhelmed trying to overhaul our communication with all of this. And you'll probably find you know, that you're doing that a little bit this week. But let's look at one specific uh, action that we can take one ...way that we can change our words. And so I've come up with five specific, powerful kinds of ways of speaking. And I want to list them for you. And as I list them, I want you to evaluate maybe the one that you need to most work on right now. This week, starting today, as you leave here, you'll commit to working on this one particular area. One of these five. And this is, as you think about this, think this is the area that I want to partner with God and work on in my life. So first of all, it might be with kind words. I just want to use kinder words this week. You know, these can be very powerful by the way. The Bible says that words have the power to transform worry into joy. That's how powerful they are. Kind words can transform worry into joy. Proverbs 12:25 says worry can rob you of happiness, but kind words will cheer you up. You know, a lot of times when people around us get worried, we like to kind of rush them through that worry. We're not always the kindest. We kind of say, "Well, it'll get better," or, "You know, I'm sure it'll, you know, get better soon," or whatever. It's not always the kindest thing to say. But kind words really can bring joy into someone else's life when they're worried. They have the power to transform. They also are powerful when you're sharing the love of Christ with somebody. William Barclay said a long time ago, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. The kindness of Christian love, much more powerful than the intellectual arguments that sometimes we have. So maybe that's you. Kind words, that's what you want to focus on this week. Or maybe gentle words is where you're at. Gentle words have the power to break through anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentle words, as the Bible says, can break through anger. They're incredibly powerful. Harsh words, I think, are so easy for us sometimes. I mean, the harsh words can roll right off the tongue. Harsh words start real early. I mean, I have young kids, and I see sometimes the harshness that they might talk with each other, you know, and get frustrated with each other, and they use harsh words right away and, and name calling and whatever else. But gentle words are not easy. Gentle words take courage. In fact, the word gentle literally, literally means power under control. Power under control. Incredible courage to say the gentle thing. Maybe that's where you're at. That, that really hits home with you. You want to work on using more gentle words. Or maybe it's pleasant words. Pleasant words, as the Bible says, encourage learning. Proverbs 16.21 says, pleasant words promote instruction. I don't know why we do this, but oftentimes as people, when, when we're trying to teach someone something or give instruction and they just don't seem to get it, we just start talking louder, like maybe that's going to help. You know, like those, those, those louder words are really going to help someone understand something. and It doesn't help. It doesn't promote instruction. It builds up barriers. You know, it makes people tense up. But pleasant words can actually help promote instruction. So maybe as a parent or a teacher or wherever you're at in life, um, pleasant words might be the area that you want to apply in your life. Or maybe it's honest words. We talked a lot about that already. But honest words help people feel loved. Help people feel loved when, you know, anyone can, can flatter and encourage and things like that. But when someone takes the risk to be honest, you feel loved. I mean, if they do it in the way that we already talked about with, with love, if they take that risk to be honest, then you feel that love. You feel trusted. You feel that they have your best interests. The Bible says an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And that's an incredible expression of love is honesty, is honesty. So you may want to bring some honest love into your conversations this week and something that you want to, to um, focus on this week is honest words. And the last one here is wise words. Wise words about God's word. Wise words about who God is. Wise words about the way God is working. Sharing encouragement for our hearts in this world. Wise words can heal a broken heart. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. That's the power of our words. I want you, like I said, to identify one of those and really work on it. And I also want you to think in general as we close this morning about the economy of our words. That our words are an investment. They're eternal. I mean, if you think about, if you really stopped to think about the words that play back in your mind, either the, the ones that build you up or tear you down, there's words especially spoken by people close to you. Sometimes it's the lack of words that were spoken by people close to you. But those things ring true in our our ears for years to come. We remember those words, especially hurtful ones, I think. And so you have to realize that your words are very, very powerful, and there's an economy of words. There's an investment of your words. And if you can begin to think about this, even as you apply this one area that you want to work on, um, if you think about it this way, if I were to give you $100 for every time that you used pleasant words, and I was going to take away $100 every time that you use unpleasant words, things that go against that, where would you be? What would your balance be? Would it be positive or negative? You know, really working on this, realizing that not only are words eternal in the sense that we hang on to them and that we remember them, and they stick with us, especially those spoken by people that... Um, we trust and that are close to us, but also that the Bible says that we will give an account for careless words, that we will give an account for the words that we speak, and we will give an account for, and we will be rewarded for the words that build up or the, the actions and the love that we show other people. So this is an internal investment in the economy of words. And I know, you know, economy right now, it's crazy. The financial markets are crazy, and they're up and down, and it's so, you know, hard to watch, watch that. But, Words will last longer than that. Words will last longer than your portfolio and are going to be worth much more. And so we need to take them seriously. Not only in people's lives, but the words are going to last all the way into eternity. That is the power of our words. Will you stand with me this morning as we close?